0: I remember uh definitely feeling my pulse racing a little bit there that i was uh I was perhaps touching a stove that was a little too hot for my uh my liking that time, and I was very happy to get picked back up. it all worked out. we have nice stories we're doing a podcast everybody could have a laugh but i I remember thinking at the time I can never say anything about this because I think we probably flew a little close to the sun that day, (laughs) dude, it was wild. I've probably, probably gone on a dozen uh, ride alongs in my life. It's important for, for people to kind of get a feel for what you guys are all about. The goal is to be the fly on the wall. And so you're kind of experiencing what you guys deal with. I'm very thankful for those experiences. It was, it was great. And, um. And, uh, I kind of wish, uh, kind of wish we could do them again sometime, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people could benefit and I know that's the, the purpose of the ride alongs in the first place was to sort of show citizens what it's really like, you know, it's, it's real dudes and, you know, and, 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 and certainly, uh, ladies of course, but, uh, doing, doing a lot of good work out there and then doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, noble causes and, and it doesn't doesn't get talked about hardly at all and that's that's a shame the stinking Troy Aikman man every time he's perfect and Favre would throw a couple picks and, and that that felt like the difference to me is I, I you know deep down it's like I know Favre is better than Aikman I can tell you I mean I'm looking at the highlights he's better and then you're like but he but he can't do it like Troy Aikman was like the boogeyman you know, not not Aikman, or it's not not Emmett, not Michael, not Dion, not Charles Haley. Aikman. That's why I, I, I think it's important, um, even when it's not popular, to to be willing to, you know, defend the huge majority that are absolutely you know trying to do things the right way the other thing is just a simple empathy of understanding the type of pressures and I don't mean pressure from the media or pressure from the populace for your conduct or anything like that I'm talking about the pressure of literally not knowing if you're going to be shot
1: you're listening to the ATO bridging the divide podcast brought to you by the Assisi the officer foundation And we can learn from those mistakes.
3: And together we can bridge the divide.
1: Welcome back, ATO fans. I'm Joe King. I'm with Randy Aguilar. And today we have a very special guest co host, Dallas homicide detective and my first partner, not my life partner, my first partner on the streets, John Valdez. John? Thanks for coming on. Uh, you're welcome.
3: Almost.
1: Almost, yeah. Today's story is different from our other stories. Today we're sitting down with a truly genuine and incredible human being. Not because of his incredible sports mind or his ability to dissect an NFL draft or because of his insane hockey knowledge or the fact that he's an active member of the four-time Marconi winner radio station of the year, The Ticket. But because of, the, because of this man's incredible faith and the fact that a mission trip to Guatemala helped him find his new why in life, I can honestly say this man is much more than just a big sports nerd. <laughs> Our guest is much, much more than this. Much more than a recognizable voice on an iconic radio station in a radio show called The Hardline. Growing up in Cheeseheadland and attending Liberty University, he got an amazing opportunity from an announcer known as the Voice of the Flames, Jerry Edwards, to dip his toe into the radio broadcast waters. Then he jumped into sports radio ocean as he moved to Dallas, Texas in 1998 to work for the Little Ticket. For years, he has honed his craft with partner Dan on Bad Radio. He garnered, garnered several nicknames. The Sterminator, sport Sturm, he's definitely not the guy in the next cubicle over. It's my honor to welcome on, one half the tickets hardline, the great Bob Sturm. Bob, Dang.
0: thank you. Jeez, Joe. That's so, uh, why are you that's misty-eyed? A, that's incredible, man. I, <laughs> I didn't I realize really, I was going into Cooperstown here. That's amazing. Yeah, well. Thank you. Don't worry, nobody listens to us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to be with you guys. This is exciting.
1: We're going to get into a lot of different topics. We're going to talk about your early life, and, um, and a lot of the ticket listeners know, but there's going to be a lot of civilians um, that listen across the country that they don't know the ticket. They sure. Don't. They've never heard of it, but after hearing Reiner on, I had several people reach out, and said they started listening to the ticket. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> they
0: don't even live in the state, so yeah. it's really cool. But um, you ready to dive into it? Yeah, man. I, you know what, though? I was gonna, uh, My wife asked me um when when i said we were doing this she said uh how'd you ever meet joe mm-hmm. and i have to tell you i don't remember but we i feel like we've known each other maybe since the 90s but i i couldn't even tell you so i'll tell that how story did we meet
1: out will we'll, you're gonna we'll, package it for later i want to package it okay for later. okay yeah because we're gonna get into our
0: i need to know the answer of how i met yeah. you because i don't remember yeah
1: no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you when we get into our iconic first ride along. Okay, done, great. You, you've done two ride alongs with me, and and they. Why work. did we
0: stop at two? I had so much fun.
1: Yeah, well, well, I'm off the streets now, so yeah. but yeah probably best and it's, more, and it's probably more. best now Policing's different now yeah probably yeah you, probably. Would, you would probably have to wear a
0: vest now riding, riding
1: <laughs> so you well you almost needed to wear a vest with us i i
0: was i i was definitely uh right on the borderline of should i be or should i not be here because yeah. i kind of feel like i should be but uh again more on that in a
1: bit right well speaking of that your uh your wife sally she just she actually said that Bob goes, "Oh my God, I was so scared during the ride." <laughs> no, it was real. Like, I,
0: like so. Uh, so, my wife, I always say this, and I don't think it's hyperbole. I think if every member of my wife's family who is in law enforcement mm-hmm. showed up at uh, the holiday in their uniform, I think we'd probably have double-digit cops and wow. detectives and you know, uh, federal officers and so forth, we would have 10 or so at, at, at Christmas. Like her whole family, and, and this is how we were raised. I've known her forever. There's a picture of us when we were both five. We were definitely not dating at the time. But, uh, but she grew up in that world, and we went to a real tiny school, a little mm-hmm. tiny private school. And so I always knew her family, her dad, uh, literally swam the Rio Grande to get to America and then became a police sergeant for like 40 years up in Wisconsin. So it's just like the American dream stuff. And, 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 and uh, you know, two brothers are cops. Uh, two in-laws are cops. Uh, her uncle is a detective. His son is, a, you know, and so it just goes on and on. And now her brother has two sons, uh, who are also now Madison cops. So if wow. you if you ever run into a Madison, Wisconsin police officer, there's a good chance uh, I know him uh, because it's my wife's family, seemingly in many respects. So so uh, you know, obviously, I I appreciate what you guys do and what you're asked to do and 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 just all that. So you know, when people always say, if you weren't sports nerding for a living, what would you be doing? And it, there's no question, I found you know law enforcement and. You know that sort of what what I this is funny because uh, you guys could actually verify this or not. I perceived growing up that I did not want a job that uh, felt monotonous. Yeah, I was scared of uh, of uh, cubicle life, if you will, or or just you know doing. And a lot of people do it, and that's great. And we all somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I didn't want to do it. I have uh, you know an attention span problem, probably. And this job was perfect for it because every week yeah. there's something different in the sports, especially world. in this town. And if you love every sport like I seem to, uh, then the, the changing of the seasons brings you a whole new team that you haven't thought about in a couple of months. It's really fun, and uh, there's no end to that. But I but I thought perhaps you know what her dad and 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 uncle and and brothers were doing seemed like it it it, it wasn't. A monotonous type existence. It, it felt like every day would be somewhat different. Now I'm sure they begin to follow certain patterns and so forth. But uh, but but that that was really the draw to me. Is just seeing. First of all, it 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 seemed like a a great calling, and then second of all, it didn't seem monotonous. So that was that was why I thought if I did do this, I would try to be doing that, although I don't think you guys take many recruits who are 50. <laughs>
1: no. We used to. We,
0: <laughs> we hey, used to. We used to. No, you would be a very intimidating
1: uh, police officer, Bob, with, the six, with six foot five. Six foot four, six, four, six, pretty six much, four yeah, yeah. Especially bald. since I shaved my head and yeah. got back to six four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Nice no, Fletch reference? <laughs> yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you
1: no uh i it's it's basically service, Bob right? yeah it's service and 100%. And, and I believe that the things that you've done you know being on the ticket and being on the, in radio and and being an expert and I mean really you, you may not call yourself an expert, but you're there's a reason you analyze games and and break games down for the great Troy Aikman. but I believe you have a servant's heart. And well, I don't know you. if that, and, and we're going to get into that with her personal life. Sure. I think that um, your faith and your servant's heart is even bigger than your radio persona.
0: That's very nice of you to say. I, I strive for that. I hope it's true.
1: No, it's true. I, I, you know, we've known each other since '98. I, yeah. I think that's when you did the first ride along. I think and, so. And, and it, was, it was right before you went the bad radio started that's right okay because you were you on nights oh yeah and
0: and, yeah i remember leaned into uh yeah uh a dumb criminal segment or something like that or darwin awards or whatever we were doing back then yeah you know i'm I'm like 25 i don't know what i'm doing but uh uh it was it's it's been a while huh it's been a little bit (laughs) we were younger then yeah all right i'm gonna start from the top sure
1: you grew up in Wisconsin. Can you describe growing up the Wisconsin life?
0: Jeez. Uh I guess we all have different versions of it, but uh a pretty small town outside Madison um and uh then a pretty small private school. My parents were extremely religious. Uh so when people think I'm extremely religious, uh they don't have any idea what uh what they're talking about. Uh, I grew up in a you know, real conservative setting that uh, you know when you're a kid, you just kind of go along with whatever you're told to do, and and uh, so so the cool thing about going to a real small school is that you can excel in sports really easily. Like they're begging you to go out for the team, and and if you have any talents at all, you're you're going to play the whole game, and it's going to be really fun. So that's different than what my boys have to deal with in Capel, where you pretty much have to be a candidate for the draft to make some of the high school teams here. I yeah. mean, it's, right. it's, it's legit. And and so they miss out on a lot of the sports camaraderie that I enjoyed. But um, the quick childhood story that I guess explains how you come up with sports Frankenstein when he's 50 is, uh, you know, my parents, you know, kind of, kind of followed the, the tone of the day on the uh, pretty conservative uh, side of the road, and, and that was that TV is evil. You know, TV mm-hmm. in our homes is going to rot all of our brains and, uh, you know, bring society to a halt. If you're watching, you know, Dukes of Hazard or, or uh, The Love Boat or the, something. The fall guy. The, yeah, yeah, or Chips, uh, <laughs> yeah. W- which, by the way, was uh, very influential <laughs> in my house. Uh, Chips, I mean, Ponch and John, uh, come on. But um, not so much Dukes of Hazzard. You know, I mean, Roscoe didn't seem to... Uh, you know, represent law enforcement quite like we'd, we'd hope not. Have you guys done a series on TV shows representing law enforcement? That might be a big hey, good idea, at dude.
1: Some point. That's a good episode. Hey, <laughs>
3: you know, I bet we could have a whole talk about movies.
1: Yeah, and well, what's
3: realistic TV shows, movies, sure. and 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 have and have a good conversation about that because there's a lot of no good doubt. ones and a lot of bad ones. No uh, doubt. Probably more bad than good. We're,
1: we are going to get into the wire talk later. Okay, and, cool. And that is – Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're going to talk about my, the, our opinions of that hey, show.
2: Real quick, going back to your high school, you said it was very so – I grew up from a really small high school out in West Texas sure. too. How, how many people did you graduate? Seven. Oh. Look, I've never met anybody that graduated fewer than me. I had 26 in my class, so I've never met that, anybody fewer than me. All right, let me, let, let, me, uh, let me hit this uh, one right way right mm-hmm. out of the
0: park by telling you a little factoid about that seven. One girl, and you just met her.
2: Holy oh oh crap. <laughs> wow.
0: I graduated with one girl. The girl. Wow! Six. I got so much to say, but I the, the great six and one. Sally Stern. Yeah, wow. yeah. So,
2: so she's i I've never made made uh, been to a smaller school. Than me, your
3: your height help must have helped.
2: It well, yeah, I guess I don't know. Were, I you, mean, were, you, I, I had, were you always
0: I, big kid. I, you yeah, but I had I had horrible hair. So uh, <laughs> David Letterman' hair is like a high school guy. So so you know just, now you don't have to say that's a problem. You just honestly no. I, and I, you know what? I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing on that front except uh, for. Real sunny days where I got to be hat guy all the time. But uh, so so basically, we didn't have a TV. Or we did have a TV, but it was locked up. Wow. And the rule... and uh, Dude, I remember this when I was like five. Um, the TV was locked up except for sports. Like, not even cartoons. Now, was that because was your dad a sports fan and that was... No, or- I just don't think he saw... Or maybe he realized I was really into sports and made an exception. I don't know. But again the 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 tone of the day at least in the church we went to which i thought you know look i i i I think everybody who knows anything about me knows i take my faith seriously Mm -hmm. but i also realize a lot of people who are in religion and who uh say they have a faith have have absolutely lost the plot and kind of gone off the deep end at Mm -hmm. times in in various directions uh, and, and I kind of think I was probably raised in one of those churches, uh, lots of well-meaning people, but, uh, the, the premise that TV, you know, right down to like Bugs Bunny is, is, uh, the downfall of society is just flat out ridiculous in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Bugs Bunny's awesome. And, oh. uh, and so the rule at the house though, from probably age five to, I don't know, age 12 was that, uh, the TV can be used for sports. And so, and and that's exclusively. So, well, so I'm surprised there's one in the house. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a little 13 inch black and white. You wow. know. But but uh, doggone it! It didn't take me long to figure <laughs> out that I want to watch every Packer game and every you know Brewers game and everything that was available because honestly, as a kid, you don't you just are mesmerized by the screen. I it's, mean, it's and, visual stimulation. Yes. I mean, you know, and yeah. any one-year-old your phone for a few seconds uh, and you'll see how obsessed they become with whatever on the screen. Yeah. And so, yes, it is just a human reaction to the light and sound and whatever it is that's moving objects on a screen. So I'm not saying I was uh, particularly um, keen on uh, football at the time, but I do think that formed me mm-hmm. into a sports nerd. So so that's that's the quick description of growing up how I did and how does a guy like you you know, when people ask me how'd you end up like this, how'd you end up knowing as much about sports as anyone they've met and I by the way, there are bigger sports nerds than me, so I don't wanna make that some bold claim. But uh yeah, I was I was ready to host a sports talk show knowledge wise when I was probably fifteen years old, just because that's all I cared about, you know, is the status That was your life as far as yeah. Sports almanac, <laughs> I tried to memorize it. Like there was you know, there's a time where if you could pick a year between like 1975 and and uh, the year 2000, I might be able to name you every champion in every sport. You know, just because that's don't call my bluff. It's too early. In the morning. No, no, I'm not but uh, do but but <laughs> you know that that's what we would do, and so it's um, It's you know, thankfully because sports talk radio didn't exist in 1972 yeah. or 1975 or you know any year of my childhood. Sports radio started happening in the late 80s. There was a Sports Illustrated article. Uh, I remember reading this in high school. Uh, you know, what's that opening section of SI when we were kids? I forget what they called it, like point after. No, that's the one at the end. What, whatever it was. Uh, they would have little small capsule stories. And one was that the first all sports radio station is going on there in New York, WFAN. Oh, WFAN. And uh, they're actually going to talk about sports 24-7. And I read that, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. How do I get access to this radio station? This sounds like the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, by the time I'm in college, now they're starting to pop up everywhere, including Dallas. And, you know, if you ever read the book Outliers, which I think is a book everybody should read. I didn't check that out. uh, By Malcolm Gladwell, a big part of success in life is the dumb luck of being in the right place at the right time it's cop work sometimes yeah and i think yes i think graduating from college in 1994 is the perfect year for anyone who wanted to do what i do for a living because all these stations are going on the air they all need talent and they all need people that have nothing but sports nonsense in their heads and Gordon and other people but yeah, he's, but I'm he's an outlier. I, there was an opening for me and now people in subsequent years are like hey I'd love to do what you do for a living the problem is we were all like 20 in 1994 or 1992 and so we haven't aged out like the conveyor belt of adding new people is very difficult because most people in my profession are about my age because all the stations went on the air at about the same time So that's honestly blessing, luck, however you want to call it, you know, from my parents locking up a TV to getting out of school and a place like the ticket goes on the air and a bunch of stations like it. I've lived this charmed life where I've never been fired. I've never, you know, really switched jobs even. You know, it's just I've always kind of been able to just slide right into a chair and and do my thing and watch football.
1: Well, you're doing what you love. I mean, absolutely.
0: I I I. I work hard. There's no doubt. And I work ridiculous hours, but I never work. You know?
1: It's all fun. Yeah. It, I, I mean, it's fun. I mean, you're.
0: I, like yesterday, I spent, you know, hours and hours on the New York Giants, you okay. know, and, and. And the
1: Nolan Ryan segment, which is. Yeah. Was yeah, and,
0: yeah. And, and then I did a talk show with a bunch of buddies. And so that was my day. And to me, learning about the New York Giants and what they did this offseason and what their new plans are and about their new coach and all that stuff. That stuff gets me out of bed. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I love to. I love to follow all these male soap operas we call sports. Right. Yeah. Well, we got a,
1: plenty of soap operas here in Dallas. We sure and, do. And it's we not. We sure do. It doesn't involve J.R. Ewing and Bobby Ewing. It's
0: no. The Joneses.
3: Are you going to follow? Uh, do a, anything on uh, Zach Wilson?
0: Uh, well, the, 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 so I don't the care York, about his football. I'll get, stuff. To, I'll get to the Jets for sure, <laughs> and uh, his off season has really been something as well. But uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I, at the ticket, uh, that sort of things moved them to the front of the line.
1: <laughs> I want to get into the Packer fandom growing sure. up, and what was that? I mean, when it, once you you started watching them on on your thirteen inch, and yeah. and then become a fan, what was that like? As far as other people that live in wisconsin that, that i know I, i've been down, down there several times right um
0: and i know what that team means to that entire state yeah you know it's funny though i was born at a time where they started being really awful for a really long time and mm. so i remember i remember going to school early on and and realizing that none of these kids liked the packers that much and, uh, mm. I think, I think the Bears might have attracted them. I think the Cowboys might have attracted them. But all the young lads in my class or in the adjacent classes uh, in grade school, I got the sense that none of them were really into the Packers because the Packers were awful. And, and I don't know how that works because you would think there would be some residuals from the Lombardi years in the 60s where. Tattle Yeah. But by the time I got there, um, and the first, I, I clearly remember John Brockington as a running back. And, and that means that I was taking note of players' names when I was four. Wow. And, and that seems a little psycho to me looking back, but, but it's true. And um, so between the year I was born and my 20th birthday, they never had a playoff season except the 1982 strike year. And I don't really count that. I don't know if anybody should count the 1982 strike year. They only played nine games. Doesn't count. So, so my entire childhood, they lost every year. Uh, Bart Starr was their coach. Packer hero. Mm -hmm. They were awful. Forrest Gregg. They were awful. You know, just going through the whole paces. And, but I, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I fell in love with the colors or the symbol or. Or, you know, just the, the idea that it's our team. It's not Chicago's team. It's our team. It's up here with us, you know. And, and that, that for whatever reason, that was attractive to me. I, I loved Lynn Dickey. Who was uh, the Kansas State quarterback that they had, and James Lofton uh, has a massive place in my heart, and I've uh, got to know him a little bit as an adult, which yeah, is that's cool. which is really weird that Sidney Moncrief and John Lofton, uh, James Lofton, know who I am, and it's uh, it's, it's just uh, <laughs> it's one of the cool things uh, about uh, you know your childhood and your adulthood sort of uh, tying together. But um, I I I always love them. I never believed they had a chance to be really good. Like a successful Super Bowl year would be making the playoffs literally when it was like Don Mikowski and that magic man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, 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 we got to a point where me and my buddy could go up there for training camp practices and we would, you know, do the bike thing with the players. That's and, really cool. And Can we, you explain
1: that for the listener that doesn't, they don't know. What yeah.
0: Yeah. Camp so, so the Packers train, uh, basically two parking lots over from their locker room, at least back then. I, I know they've put a lot of money into things now, but the, the Green Bay Packer training camp, <laughs> unlike the Dallas Cowboys, which, By the way, Advantage Cowboys, uh, you know, their their (laughs) training camp is glorious uh, out in California. But the Packers was in their parking lot and uh, or across their parking lot to the practice fields. And and so it was a really long walk. It was like 500 yards. And so for whatever reason, once upon a time, uh, players would borrow like kids bikes to ride from the locker room to the practice field and then back. And so kids would start bringing their bikes and offering them to players, and then players would ride their bike, and the kid is holding their helmet running alongside. And so once word got out that that was happening, are you kidding me? Like every – it's the Pied Piper. Every kid in Wisconsin is trying to get their bike up to Lambeau Field so that <laughs> some player might ride their bike and, of course, crush it because he weighs 300 pounds. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, just that, that experience. They sort of try to keep it alive even to today. But, uh, but I do feel like um, my whole childhood, again, until I was 20, they were so bad that it kind of was my team. Like, I didn't have to share them with anybody.
1: Because nobody else wanted because them. Because no one else yeah. wanted yeah. them. Yeah. And
0: so now Packer fans are insufferable, entitled, annoying, and all that, and that's the generation after me. I think my generation is grateful for every good season, and, you know, we – we remember and we know how quickly a, a little village like green bay could become completely irrelevant in the nfl so yes people are like you guys are so spoiled farve and rogers huh? how do you you know you only won two super bowls in 30 years i'm like two super bowls in 30 years do you know how insane and how impossible it is to win two in 30 years yeah. like we're not yeah we're not the patriots but if you would have told me as a kid that every 15 years i was going to average a super bowl victory i would have signed up for that in a
1: heartbeat. We'll that was take, impossible. We'll, ta- we'll take that in Dallas right now.
0: Yes, I mean, yes, yes. And so, you know, it, it's a love affair that, you know, I, I heard somebody say this and I've stolen it, but uh, your your favorite sports team is the only thing that you will feel the same about when you're 5 and when you're 75. And I really believe that. Like, if you, you know, it could be your college. It could be whatever that team is that you think about when you should be thinking about something else, that is, has a relationship with you that hopefully stays with you as other things come and go, like the love of money or your interest in women or just whatever. I mean, things fluctuate by age, right? I'd I'd like to think I'll, you know, I'll still feel that way about a sports team. You know, the whole way through, I won't become jaded like uh, many in my business. But you know, I, I got the, I got the tattoo. I got a son named Brett. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I work now, so it does make it weird, and I don't like it when the Cowboys and Packers play because then work me and and free time me have to have uh, this weird relationship <laughs> for the week, and and all the people out in Radio Land know, you know, uh, we know who what you really want to have happen. Honestly, I. I don't know that I agree with them, even though it makes intuitive sense, because my relationship with the Packers is very similar to everyone's relationship with whatever team they like. My relationship with the Cowboys is I know these guys. Like, yeah. I, the coaches, the people that work in the business office, and many players, I actually have built up a relationship with them like you and I have, mm-hmm. where you know, man, how you doing? What, are you, what What's going on here? You know, what's uh, how you feeling today? Like Jason Witten is a really good friend of mine. Dan Campbell, you know, some of these guys we've had relationships, I, I, I've been lucky enough to call them friends. And of course, uh, the, you know, the Troy thing is well after his career. So that one wasn't quite the same. But the point is, if you know somebody personally, it's different than having a favorite team. And so when people are like, you know you don't even care if the cowboys win bro i care probably more when the you know that their families are happy and you they have a don't connection. get fired and they don't you know they don't get cut or something like that i mean it's it's a it's a way different and more special relationship to actually know people it's not i i, I guess i you know people get it but it's just it's it's that deal where um, it would be best if they would just never play that would be nice for me <laughs> yeah. because uh, they like the des catch thing there are still people that hate my guts because they know deep down inside I was happy at the end of the day when they were crushed <laughs> and and honestly when they play each other I go into this trance. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it at all because I I'm so grateful to P1s for making my life possible that I I'm not going to dunk on them, you know, because some ref doesn't make a call, you know. And I, it's just like I said. Well, you know what? The Bucks and Mavericks are great because they're in different conferences and they'll almost (laughs) never meet. That's perfect. I wish the Packers and Cowboys could be like that, but but every year it feels like the Packers and Cowboys play each other at least once, if not twice. Sometimes. Okay, the Cowboys it must have been
2: torture, though back in the nineties when they were actually in the playoffs oh. together. That was well, torture. Well, it <laughs> was,
0: and and I'll tell you something. What what's hilarious about that is the the, the Troy Aikman element where oh I can't um, wait to get yeah <laughs> where hey, we are jumping around. Yeah. But no, hopefully it's fine. That's okay. yeah. No, no, no. So 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 uh, yes. So the Packers, when I was twenty, started getting good. They got of course Brett. Um, uh, and and they started actually being a team that uh, that uh, could do some things but these cowboys are this mighty machine who who just look like you know the final villain in in the movie you know where you're just not going to beat the big boss here at the end of the movie he's just right. there's just too much there's too much firepower there's just you just don't beat him that's that. And then yeah and then every year the packers would play them twice and and it would be at Dallas regular season, and then at Dallas in the playoffs because the Packers would never get home field. That's ridiculous. We're barely a wild card team, and and so in '92, and '93, and '95, and or excuse me, '93, '94, '95, the the Cowboys and, and Packers would always be on a collision course, and and we'd get uh, we'd get beat, and uh, and it was just this this deal where. The stinking Troy Aikman, man. Every time he's perfect, and Favre would throw a couple picks, and and that that felt like the difference to me. Is I, I you know deep down it's like I know Favre is better than Aikman. I can tell you. I mean, I'm looking at the highlights. He's better. Settle down. And then mm-hmm. you're like, but he but he can't do it. Like he, he's I you know you're going into the game. You're like, finally he's gonna he's gonna rise up and beat this guy. You know. And uh, then Aikman would not make any mistakes, no interceptions, no fumbles, and and maybe not as many yards, and maybe not as many touchdowns. But sometimes he would. And then you know it even got worse. Like Aikman's injured, and here comes
2: Jason Garrett on Thanksgiving Day, and <laughs> yeah. Jason Garrett
0: is lighting you up. And so it was torture. And and so but at least you weren't working here, though. No, I yeah, wasn't. So that's good. <laughs> but it was really funny because you know, to be fair, Troy Aikman was like the boogeyman. Right. You know, not not. Aikman, or it's not, not Emmett, not Michael, not Dion, not Charles Haley. Aikman. Aikman was in my kitchen. And so, you know, I'm a college student and I'm like, I can't stand this guy. I can't, I can't believe how overrated he is. (laughs) I can't believe, uh, you know, just, just uh, how everyone just kisses his butt and just all this stuff. And, And I remember, you know, everyone has an athlete like that where it's like, I can't stand this guy. In fact. Many people down here. It's Aaron Rodgers, right. and and so, uh, no, absolutely. So so I you know I, I made him out to be this 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 Darth Vader presence in my life or something, and uh, and then of course over the course of working for the ticket, you start to meet him and you're like, man, this guy's so cool. I can't believe how nice he is.
2: Does he uh, know this stuff?
0: Yeah, you've talked to him about this. Yeah, stuff? well, in fact, we had a really awkward time at the quarterback bowl. So we played a reunion arena a flag football game. And our team had, I think, Troy, Moose, Herschel, and maybe Drew Pearson. And the other team had Roger and, you know, Tony Dorsett and Michael Irvin and whoever was on the other team said Jay Novacek. It was just so cool to have, like, Cowboy Ring of Honor guys all over the field. And then, like, me and Rhines and Corby and Junior and all these guys are – filling out the flag football roster and uh the real athletes yes and so i'm i'm playing center and i remember uh shotgun snaps to troy and uh and and herschel walker was like lined up across from me and i'm supposed to like (laughs) one-on-one pass protect against herschel walker it was was hilarious but it was also this out-of-body experience for like that's herschel walker that's troy aikman what am i doing between them and uh my my wife's sister was always a Cowboy fan. So, you know, there's always a contrarian mm-hmm. in every family, right? And she <laughs> loved the Cowboys and she loved Troy Aikman and just, you know, yeah. make you crazy when the teams would play. But enough time had passed. The Cowboys at the time were being coached by Campbell. Aikman's long retired. Yeah. Let me get my sister-in-law an autographed football from Troy. You know, this is kind of cool. So I remember after the quarterback bowl, I walk over to uh, I walk over to Troy. He again nicest guy, and I hand him a football and I say, "Hey, could you sign this uh, for my uh, for my sister in law? She's 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 a really big fan." And he, yeah, sure, sure. So he grabs it and what's her name and uh, to Susie or whatever. And I said, "Yeah, she even thinks you're better better than Brett Favre." Hmm. And then he doesn't say anything. He just keeps writing, and I. <laughs> And I realized what I had just done. (laughs) And I'm like, and so do I. And took the ball feebly back. I I felt two feet tall, and I should have because I got too comfortable. And so um, that was like 2003 or two or something like that. And then, you know, over the course of time, we'd get to know each other and uh, occasionally cross paths. Uh, He, I think, was part of the Dallas Super Bowl committee. Uh, So when the Super Bowl was – maybe in Miami or something. He he had a boat and for whatever reason, a bunch of us media guys went out there with, with Troy or something. And that was fun. But in 2016, he called me or no, he had a Cowboys official call me and say, Hey, Troy would uh, like to meet with you. And I'm like, geez, this is very formal. And, uh, and so I said, yeah, sure. And so it was like two weeks before the season started. And, um, and, uh, he can meet you at Cowboys practice. Okay. And so I walk into the Ford Center where they have the indoor practice now. And uh, the guy's like, okay, so he's right over there. And it's across the field. And it's one guy, and it's Troy Aikman sitting there. So now I'm walking all the way around. He's got a pistol sitting on the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I, and I'm seriously trying to figure out, what have I said? What is he going to scold me about? Or is he going to ask, you know, Dan to stop doing something through me? Or who knows what's going on here, right? And, uh, basically, uh, Hey Troy, how's it going? Hey, he, he, and he asked me if I wanted to work for him. And, and, and so, um, as, as recently as, uh, 30 minutes ago, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, what we were getting ready for, for this season, but this is my <clears throat> seventh or eighth season working for Troy. And we both, uh, been acquired by monday night football although monday night football didn't really worry too much about me <laughs> no. I, i'm easy to acquire but uh but but yeah joined at the hip uh, with troy and uh, to this day and so that's a super long answer to tell you how insane it is that the biggest villain of my 20s hired me in my 40s to work for him and, and now you're friends <laughs> and, and now and now you know he's one of the nicest uh, uh guys i have in my life
1: no, he's probably my favorite announcer too. I mean, just he's so good. <clears throat> him and Joe are
0: great. I, I love listening to them. Yeah, and he he <clears throat> he works so hard to make sure he's got it on game day. And and there's certainly plenty in the broadcast business that, uh, especially famous people, that just kind of show up and wing it. Yeah. And and he's not that. He's uh he he legitimately wants to make sure that he knows your team as well as you do. And so that's what, you know, I try to help him with. But but again, I don't want anyone to think that I help him become that because he was doing it long before he ever brought me on board. He just wanted to, you know, run up the score, I guess, by uh, making sure every rock is unturned the week of any game he does. Or the fact that he... Owned you during the '90s, and he still
1: wants to have a hand in
0: yeah, a leash on st- you. He still owns you. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He he believes in charity, so <laughs> yeah. uh so despite tormenting me in the '90s, oh. uh, he's painted back.
1: And he's like, "Oh yeah," and you're still blaming the crest of Cowboy Stadium oh, for Favre. Dude, the Favre crest of the yeah.
0: How are you supposed to throw to the sideline? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense.
1: for, for the t- For the listeners, the there was a a theory back then when Favre played. Oh, it was that, true. It, it, well, well, I mean, yeah, oh, Texas the Co- is true for yeah, Texas, draining. Yeah, Texas yes. Stadium that yeah. Favre had an issue with. And I'm a Favre fan too. But, and I didn't like the Packers but I love Favre's game the way he played. The yeah, yeah. spirit, I mean, it's it's incredible, but but I'm glad the Cowboys. Of
0: course, stopped him. Of did, he, course. did he
3: ever beat the Cowboys?
0: Uh, yes, uh in the the 90, but it was up there. Uh, he yeah. never beat him at Texas Stadium. Uh 90 Ninety six or so, so the year the the Packers finally regular won a season. Super Bowl in my lifetime, they came up uh, there and, yeah. and uh, in fact that was when Gordon was arrested at Lambeau Field. <laughs> that was great. But, uh, a playoff, was it a playoff game or it was regular? It, season? No, it was it was late regular season, late regular. but it was cold. It okay. was it was a day where the Cowboys probably stayed on the bus. Yeah, yeah. I think that was ninety six. Yeah, I'm going to say it's ninety six. Maybe ninety seven. Now that I think about it, they're starting to run together, Joe. Well, it was at the end of the. The triplets reign. Well, yeah, Yeah. but at the time, they were still the pick to win the Super Bowl. I mean, the Cowboys. Several years after they won Mm -hmm. their final Super Bowl, everyone's like the triplets can still do it. Was Switcher still coach? Oh yeah, yeah, he was coaching. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dion had a pick six that day.
1: Did he? (laughs) But you know, uh, they didn't
0: score much else.
1: I listened to a great audio book, "Boys Will Be Boys." I that's a Jeff fan, Perlman. That's a fantastic book about the '90s Cowboys, and yeah. I, I recommend that to the listeners to check that out. That's a really I read it years ago, and then it finally hit on audiobook and I got in the mood to listen to it. Okay. And, and it's just it's a fascinating book. Um, yeah, when I, Troy Aikman was my favorite quarterback growing up. And not just because he was so good. I did, even when they drafted him, I was excited because uh, I'd watched him at UCLA, and I knew he was he was one of the finalists with, with Rodney Pete and, and, yep. and, and um, Barry Sanders. Yep. And I had his pro set rookie card when it came out, which they mass-produced those things. That's and right. They're worthless now. But it was basically Aikman and Elway were my favorite quarterbacks. And, you know, and I kind of looked at them. Uh, they were similar type, big arms, t- good-looking, Perfect hair, yep. and they, they just – they look like an NFL quarterback. And he looked like then. a cowboy. He, no, he did. No, he looked like a cowboy.
0: Yeah, he, he's uh, – again, if you Hell, want, he's
1: better shaped now than he, when he played.
0: Dude, he's ripped. Yeah, I know. And he walks oh. around with a gallon of water. He's one of those hydration guys. I know, no, uh, I've,
1: I follow him on Instagram. He's –
0: yeah. he's
3: yeah. A couple of years ago, he was running – we were doing carry the load, and he was running up Katie Trail. Yeah.
1: And I had to do a double take because he was – it was
3: incredibly ripped. I was surprised yeah. by how good a shape. Well, hell, yeah. Farv,
0: same with Favre now. Favre, Jack too. I don't think he's like Troy though. No. no. Yeah. Yeah. Troy's it's, Troy's uh, pretty careful about what he eats and and uh, his workouts. Put, yeah. And he's he's on. Uh, he's trying to defeat aging. So I wish him well in that. We uh, all I, are. I'm going to sit this one out a little bit, but uh, <laughs> but uh, he's doing pretty good at it. Yeah. He's yeah. doing he's doing great. He's always uh, seemed to. Land on his feet in life, so uh, <laughs> so. Shout out to Troy.
1: Well, I you, you say you don't want to take credit for his success and his his incredible announcing and and, and an, analyzing games, but he
0: recognized the talent in you. Well, it, I, I got to tell you, Joe, it's it's an unbelievable honor. I oh. mean, you know, when you talk about all the things that have been cool about your career, uh, there's no question. Very very high on the list is finding out that. Not only does Aikman listen to your show, but he thinks uh, you could help him, uh, you know, be on his on his uh, toes for every game that uh, you know. Because that's that's the thing about his job, and especially when we were doing it for Fox uh, last year, I think we did 28 games, yeah, wow. which is insane. So it's every three or four days we're doing another game. Uh, this year for ESPN, thankfully, it's just Monday night, and so it's 17 plus a playoff game. And so to go from 28 to 18, I'm going to get a lot of hours back in my life, yeah. and I know he is, and I think we're both delighted because two games a week at the rate that he prepares and and the amount of study that goes into it, it was just going to be uh, – it, it, it couldn't go on like that forever because – I don't even travel and I was exhausted you know and so so I know I know the, the fact that he was and he travels differently than we do but uh, but 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 <laughs> still. coach but uh, still he, no yeah. no yeah. I think Eric uh, Aikman probably and uh, he doesn't he, have the middle seat <laughs> no, in, in he's okay. seldom in a middle yeah-hmm
1: uh, I want to get into your radio uh, how you you started Liberty uh, I mentioned before the play-by-play announcer voice of the flames yeah, yeah. gave you an opportunity
0: yeah you were young how were how you oh geez uh sophomore so 19 No. Yeah. yeah and and did you always have this like deep radio voice I mean like uh yeah probably I it never occurred to me and my parents say I mumbled all through high school which is probably <laughs> true so you have to learn how to open your mouth when you talk maybe um, and I probably didn't always know how to express myself so so that does take time I might have had enough in my head at age 15 to to have expertise on at least that level but the ability to communicate and uh you know construct cogent thoughts and things like that and then verbalize them I I assume that takes a lot of at-bats in the minor leagues and so yeah going to Liberty really honestly the thrust of all this was I thought maybe I could play college basketball And then who knows, you know, maybe you go to Europe and play. I I had no idea. I was really good in private school, Wisconsin. But, again, I had seven people in my class. We played way, way, way bigger schools, and we did very well because we did have a really good basketball team. But, again, being good at basketball in Wisconsin is way different than being good at basketball in Dallas. Yeah. Um, Dallas – produces lottery picks routinely i can assure you wisconsin and especially (laughs) wisconsin private schools do not and so once i realized i couldn't play for a living and it took me probably longer than it should have to realize that uh then i wanted to write or broadcast the games and and so yeah sports talk was barely a thing so play-by-play seemed to be where i wanted to go and um I remember Jerry Edwards spoke at one of our classes, uh, sports management or communications or something, and and basically, as he's given us his spiel as uh, the play-by-play voice of Liberty basketball and football, you know, he said, "Hey, and if I'm looking for someone to uh, kind of engineer for me uh, on, you know, for all the games, and and I'm like, does this mean you get to travel, you know, to these games, and does this mean?" We don't have to, you know, we can get like uh, food on the road and, you know, all these all these types of things that you're thinking as a poor college student, this sounds amazing. I get to go on flights and I get to see cities far away and I get to be at games and I get a per diem, you know, even if it's nothing to, to go to Subway or Pizza Hut or something and get some meals and that sounded like the most amazing thing ever. And so I start doing it with him, and he starts learning what a sports nerd I am. And he's like, hey, you want to do pre, pre-game and halftime? And and then I'm filling in for him uh, doing some games, and then I'm off doing Liberty Baseball play-by-play. And, you know, it it, it I really thought I would be a play-by-play guy, and I kind of always did. And, you know, honestly, until about five or six years ago was when I probably gave up my play-by-play dream because – I always had in the back of my head that if uh, the Dallas Stars ever split up radio and TV, mm. maybe I could grab one of those spots. You know, that, that always play-by-play play of hockey just seemed really cool to me um, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is it sounds like you get about five months off a year where uh, you're not doing anything and you still uh, can make a living with a nice long April to – October summer break, that sounds great unless we go on a cup run and then it's June to uh, October, that's fine too. I, You know, the, the vacation sounds great to me. So, you know, I, I, I always thought that I might end up leaving the ticket to go do play-by-play. And then, you know, when uh, they properly hired uh, Dave Strader and then Josh Bogorod, uh, Josh is great. I'm very happy they made the right call. There's no question about it, but I was definitely interested, and so that made it to my mid forties. Still, kind of hoping I could do play-by-play someday because all of us sports nerds want to be at games, you know, and we want to have we want to have skin in the game, as they say. We want to feel like you know when we're watching games that the outcome matters. That's why so many have gambling problems. Probably is uh, is that you know you want to feel the the adrenaline kick of uh, something good happening. So, so yeah, being at an arena, uh, and, and caring if the Dallas stars win or lose or FC Dallas, I did for a little while and, you know, absolutely would have been interested in any of the other local teams. Cause you know, me with sports, uh, just never happened. And then I got comfortable in my skin doing sports talk, partly because I can be home and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be a decent husband and father, hopefully. And, and, uh, kind of gave up that dream which is usually um i guess just getting comfortable in your own skin and satisfied with where you are and not worried about conquering a new height so
1: well, that's, you, that's
0: how it all happened
1: were you approached by the powers that be you said you were interested in that job but were you did anybody know you were interested yeah okay yeah okay. Yeah, okay. yeah
0: yeah Tom Gallardi uh, had had intimated uh, he was interested, you know, as, as in me being a candidate. So, so yeah, I, I think I think I was a legitimate candidate, and I think they probably thought it would be insane to hire somebody who's never actually had a play-by-play hockey job to start in the big leagues. Yeah. Like people ride the bus in the minors for. Ten years to get a shot at a job like that. So, did the I, the ticket people know? Um, yes and no. I I floated it uh, to them a couple times, and and they were like, uh, they were not interested in in me not doing sports radio, right? And so, well, how would this work if you're doing both? And then I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do both. Right. I just want to do that. And so, there were there was going to be some difficult contortion required to pull it off but it doesn't mean in the back of my head I I didn't think uh, that would be something you know not worth pursuing so so I gave it a go and like I said they absolutely hired the right guys uh but but yeah I mean at some point if they would have just asked since then I've probably torpedoed any possibility of that ever happening in the future because some of my my star's opinions have been a little too hot over there, I understand. Okay. But uh, but Dan always used to tell me that I would hate doing play by play because I like my opinions too much. <laughs> and if you your, like having opinions. Your
1: Twitter man would, would say yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well,
0: honestly, if, if you're going to have real critical opinions, not that. You know, you're not trying to get personal, and you're not trying yeah. to be mean, but you really care about this team, and they keep doing these things that are super annoying or that you believe are wrong, and then you then you say something about it, and they're like,
2: "Whoa, whoa! Did you, did, you work for us?
0: Yeah, did you happen to see what your paycheck says up there at the top? Yeah. Uh, right. You like, worked for us, like you're, George and the being the announcer, yeah, the PA announcer for absolutely. the Cowboys back then. Yeah, yeah, and so like I look at my friend Mark Falwell, and I mm. say, "There's a guy with a perfect life." He has he gets to follow Luca around the country doing basketball games in the NBA. That sounds like just the most fun a broadcaster could ever have. At the same time, um, you know, he probably can't express all of his opinions because uh, Mark Cuban. Uh, can react oh, yeah.
2: uh, react uh, very swiftly uh, if you uh, get too far out. Of and when line. he talks to you guys, when he's on those segments, there's sometimes you can tell that. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. He, but he's so good at what he does. But yeah. but you can still tell he's he is, great at navigating. He
0: he. he but he has to navigate. Yeah. That's I mean that's part of the deal. You literally work for the team, and the team expects they can't control the media, but they can control you. Right. So you know it's a it's a. You give something up for any job you take, right? You 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 have to you have to understand the rules of the game, and uh, and and he uh, he accepts them, and I would have accepted them too, but uh, Dan thinks it would have made me ultimately crazy, and and honestly, when you hear like Brad Sham do a Cowboys game, yeah. I assume Brad Sham has no rules because sometimes he is so grumpy about what the Cowboys are doing oh, right absolutely. now, absolutely, and it's yeah. great. Because you were grumpy hearing it, mm-hmm. but but I've always thought when I hear Brad, there's no way he's scared that Jerry is listening and he's going. Although Jerry did 86 Dale Hanson once upon a time, so yeah. so I guess everybody has their limits.
1: Well, even even doing this uh, podcast, Bob, I had to reach out to the the city attorneys and for oh, Dallas yeah. and say hey. I'm starting this It's for the Assistant officer foundation. That's right. What do I need to be careful of and, 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 look out for. Yeah. And I have rules too, but it's, it's, it's like things that I wouldn't do anyway. Right. It, right. It's, you know, it's, I'm not going to go and crap on the department that
0: I work for. And, right. And, and, and talk about things I'm displeased with well I would say this here's a quick anecdote for you is this happened just yesterday although this may uh, yesterday may be a relative term when this actually airs but <laughs> um, so we're talking about uh, a game show on the air yesterday and the game shows big reward is still a hundred thousand dollars and I thought that was like a 1960s prize like I feel like we've advanced to where if you're on a big network and you're only giving out a hundred thousand dollars for the grand prize, that's pretty lame. Like we're yeah. way over a million now and you know, some of these shows are like five or ten million. I mean, come on. It's jump changing T V. And so I uh, and then and then the promo is like you divide it amongst the people on the team. And so I <laughs> am laughing at the fact that it's like thirty some grand apiece, thirty three grand a piece, which is basically the price of this tiny car and I named the name of the car uh, because I just was thinking of name a tiny car that you wouldn't drive probably and so I named the name and uh, Corby about lost his mind because it's a sponsor and we dumped it and so it never went over the air. But I, you know, when you talk about offending your bosses, yeah. you don't even think about all the commercials you're running. You're just trying to be funny and right. uh, name a small car that... It's uh,
3: probably his electric car. And, yeah,
0: and, yeah. and you know, he uh, he's like, no, you can't say that. And he dumped it real fast. And we all had a laugh because uh, the dump button saved us. But, uh, you know, it's just...
1: Well, my dump button is Danny Kennedy. He's our SWAT guy. That well, I was going yes, uh,
0: yes. If you're not live, you can at least edit things uh, yeah. to, to to make everybody happy. But yeah, we all work for somebody usually, of course, and uh, and it's probably best not to anger them too often.
1: No, no, because you want to you want to still enjoy the fruits of what that's provided. College
0: is very expensive, and I have many, many more years of college yeah. to pay for. If well, I have Lord an eight year old, so <laughs> there you, you go. Know. All right. I want to talk about getting
1: into the big leagues. You leave Wisconsin and you come to the big city of Dallas. Yeah. And, you know, it's a tail end. We have three major sports here. Right. We have the we have the the cow the big cowboys the the four the Mavs the Rangers and the Stars. Right. And the Stars were they were a powerhouse right when you they got here. They were the toast. of the yeah. town.
3: Is yes. that what essentially brought you here? Because they needed a hockey guy on the radio. No,
0: but I definitely contorted. The, the world to that end like okay. that's that's very uh, observant in the sense that when I got here uh, it doesn't take a guy like me long to sort of survey the landscape and when I got here I mean again the ticket was, you know, any credit it was the Yankees. Yeah. What's that? It yeah. was the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. Any, any credit I get for uh, for ticket success is wrong because I got here and they were already a dominant force. Now maybe I kept the ball rolling a little bit uh, on my own level, but but Mike and Greg, George and Craig, Gordon. Those guys were uh, absolutely a force of nature when I got here in 1998. So the station had only been on the air four years, and these guys are rock stars. Like I, I couldn't believe it. We'd go places, and it's just like people are going nuts for Grego, and I'm like, who is this guy? You know, who is this? <laughs> yeah.
2: But hockey wasn't a big part of it.
0: No, and that's the thing is yeah. the stars were also rock stars at the time, right. as they worked their way up to 1999. But nobody on the ticket. Knew anything about hockey, right? Except one guy named Rocco Pendola. Mm, but right. Rocco <laughs> Pendola also made it a point to be as uh, over the top and uh, bombastic in yeah. your face, yeah. and uh, he he made enemies, you know, uh, through the speaker. But he also made enemies at the station. Mm-hmm. And so he's a very young guy. In fact, he probably set records for like the youngest guy ever to host a sports talk show at the time like very young when I think a buffalo station hired him and uh and so by the time he got to us he was still early 20s and you know most of us in our early 20s are pretty annoying humans to begin with well he's got a radio show he's a successful radio guy at the time and so he was only in Dallas for like a year but part of his shtick was how much he loved hockey well I
3: he re- he used to say he'd rather watch a regular season hockey game than Game Seven of the World Series. Really? Uh, yeah, okay. I, I remember him saying that. Okay, shit, that's
0: awesome, uh, and I believe it. Mm. And um, and so I got here about a year into his deal, and I could quickly tell that he wasn't really part of the clique, mm. part of the team, and but I didn't think anything of it because who cares? Uh, and, and and trust me, I wasn't terribly shrewd in my observations anyway because everything was a blur to me I couldn't believe I was at this radio station I felt like I won a contest and and I immediately got super insecure about how long I could stay and all these types of things and so I remember I got hired in July went right to Wichita Falls I want to say within a week is Michael Irvin stabbing Everett McIver in the neck with the yeah, scissors right, right. type thing, which yeah. which, never, gate. which never resulted in anything. Read no the, charges, hey, that no book, boys will be boys, yeah, they, yeah. Go in, they go into that, it's Okay. Really good. Well, uh, so, so we go through the season, and I think that was the year Jake Plummer won at Texas Stadium against the Cowboys, oh. and then that, that spring... The stars are going into their cup run. In fact, also that uh, spring was Dirk's first game with the Mavericks yep. after the lockout, like in early February. So this is this is a pretty cool time to day. land at the yeah. ticket. Um, and and so I, I we go on our first spring break, my wife and I, and we go out to uh, California to see some relatives. And uh, I remember. Um, I guess maybe the first cell phone I ever had, it must have looked like a brick or something, but I get called that Rocco got fired. On, and I'm on spring break, and I'm like, Rocco got fired? What the heck? The And all I could think of is well, the Stars are about to go on this massive run. And, you know, you never know, but you knew the Stars were going to have a real chance of winning the Cup. And so this is March, and... The Stars went in Buffalo in June. And so for those next three months, not only is the hockey guy gone, but and I'm still brand new and nobody knows me because I'm 8 to 11 at night. And so I just could not believe this opportunity. And, like, the station is like, hey, can you do our hockey stuff now? Yeah. Okay. Can you also do Rocco's shift? Yeah. What was his shift? Mid-days. Noon to 3. Noon to 3, that's right. Okay. And I'm like... Yeah, I kind of want it. So, yes. (laughs) So, I I would love to see the hours I worked between March and June because um, I took every assignment. I uh, often worked noon to 3 and 8 to 11. You know, I would do this weird split shift to take both of our shifts and basically cover the stars. So, in round two, they played at St. Louis. I was there. Uh, in round three, they played the Avalanche. I was at every game, home and away, in that series. And then in uh, the finals, I was at uh, Game Six up in Buffalo. And and so somehow I'm going to all these play. I'm right out of Lynchburg, like I am straight out of school. And so I you're twenty.
2: 20- I'm I'm uh, 20, uh
0: 24, That's wow. right. Yeah. And so I am uh I am at uh no excuse me twenty six. What am I thinking? Yeah. Uh, but but I I'm. I'm I'm in St. Louis. I'm in Denver. I'm in Buffalo. I'm at a Stanley Cup parade. I, you know, all this stuff is happening. I can't believe it. My favorite player growing up was Brett Hall, and he's now the star for the Stars. Uh, like they just acquired him like a week before I got hired by the ticket, and then a week after, it, Dirk is brought in, who at the time really wasn't a star in the story, but yeah. it, it, it all and then just and he hits the
2: winning, you know,
0: dude. And I'm just yeah, and he he scores the the game winning goal in Buffalo, <laughs> and I'm 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 there, and everybody's looking to me for hey, what are how are we supposed to feel about this play and is you know the musers are having me on to talk about this or you know i'm now their hockey expert and so i wasn't brought in for hockey but i became you know again using seem pretty seamless well you using my youth uh sports almanac uh, you know obsession with every sport really paid off because this opportunity came along i could have never predicted it but they needed a hockey guy and they needed him right now and i'm like dude, I love hockey, you know, uh, let me at it. And so, so that spring, I feel like if you were to say, all right, what helped this goofball from Wisconsin to basically make the ticket roster and be able to spend maybe most of his life in Dallas talking sports, if I had to say what's the one thing, it might be the ridiculous timing of the Stars' Stanley Cup run that took over Dallas's attention, and, and I just kind of tripped into it because Rocco got himself fired, or it would have been Rocco. Uh, I had just been hired, right place, right time, and then seize the moment and, and run with the ball as far as you can. And so, there are people to this day that associate me with the sport of hockey and I'm flattered. I love hockey, but it all kind of starts back, like if the Stars would have sucked when I got here and they were irrelevant, mm. that opportunity doesn't exist, but it's again. It's blessing.
1: Luck, stars aligning. Right. Stars aligning. No, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and 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 from that point forward, you know, I had I had a credibility that I could not have paid for. You know, I could not have bought that anywhere. Uh, it just it just happened. So so you know, thank goodness.
1: My memory of Rocco, I think it was when uh, uh Walter Payton was having the the liver, and he and isn't he the one that said that. Well, I can't believe people aren't – he basically said, I can't believe people aren't running from the hills to donate a liver to Walter Payton. I like, believe – He only got one liver. I believe he, yeah. had, kidney, <laughs> I think he had kidneys and liver yeah, yeah, mixed up. Yeah, so
3: it
0: was, <laughs> yeah he did. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Well,
3: I remember that. What I remember most is this stupid toenail thing. I think it's what yeah. put him over the top. Getting yeah, it.
0: and, and you know, he, uh, he was inspired by Howard Stern. And, yeah, every, and everybody who is inspired by Howard Stern – Needs to remember they're not Howard Stern, right. and yep. so you can do things uh, others can't. <laughs> the old uh, "I could fart on the air and you guys will think I'm a genius" uh, bit is 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 uh, not for everyone, but I believe Rocco uh, might have said that. Right. So, mm. well, thank we, goodness for his decision making. That really opened yeah. the door for me.
1: Yeah. Well, too bad people didn't come running from the hills with livers. The past. <laughs> I've out. said enough dumb yeah.
0: things. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't. I've <laughs> never not heard
1: hard. nothing like that. Anyway. You asked earlier how we met. Yeah. You said your wife was asking, how did you and Joe meet? So we met. I approached you at a at a ticket event. Okay. I believe it was a guy's not out. It was right before you started Bad Radio. You had already got the gig, but it hadn't got going yet. Okay. And I think Dan had already been putting everything. Was, so this so, is
0: that same spring of 99? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: And it was the star's heyday. Yes. Uh, yes. I approached you, and I had heard that you you like doing ride-alongs yes okay and at the time my partner john he, john over here he was my, uh, valdez he was my partner yeah and we were we did nothing but chase to open southeast right and i approached you and said hey if you ever ridden the southeast he said no i said here's i had a pager at the time okay right? so <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and 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 sweet. also yeah very sweet and email i gave you that we exchange information couple of weeks later we set up a ride along that's right i went and picked you up from the ticket uh, office and i was kind of limping that day because i the day before we had we had fought a guy at 2805 east ledbetter and Klingel smith and i were fighting this guy and all three of us fell down the stairs while holding on to this guy yeah. and so we rolled down these the stairs at 2805 ledbetter John shaking his head because john hates my memory
2: so well, we, we rode together forever but I don't have a memory like he's always like John. Do you remember this? I don't know. Hey, do you remember this? No. Somebody's calling to me. Hey, Joe said this. Do you remember? I'm like no. I, I just yeah, don't have the memory.
1: I, I have a stupid like like your sports. Yeah. Me- I have a dumb memory. I can I can remember picking you up in the elevator, riding down from the ticket. We go out to the squad car. Okay, and then we go meet up with uh, at Southeast, and we sit in detail. Sergeant Landry, shout out David Landry. He listens. Yeah, he was up there calling roll call and. You brought us some ticket swag. You brought okay. us some T-shirts, and you brought him a T-shirt, too. And he uh, called your name out in detail, and we thought it was really cool. We go out, and we leave, We go get a drink, and then we drive over to Royal Crest Apartments, John. Remember that? And we mm-hmm. go jack up uh, uh, a, known, a known suspect last name, Beasley. We knew
2: him. We, okay. I remember I remember we were just, I don't know if it's not bragging, but we were just talking about how everybody's got guns. We are talking about how bad, we are trying to build it up. Yeah. Yeah. And we—I remember—we just jump out on this guy. No clue he would, but sure enough, man, he had—he had a freaking pistol on him, and we were just talking it up to make you think that, and he really had one. I—I I, was—I was incredibly amazed at at how
0: it seemed like there were a lot of people who were armed that we would happen upon.
1: Well, we're going to get into more of the armed, but but I remember you got out the apartment. That was one of the most deadly apartments there in Oak Cliff on on, on the southeast side. It, the Royal—it was bad. We get out, we jack him up, and John's talking to him. I'm over talking to his buddy. You're just kind of milling around, yeah, uh, standing there watching us. And all of a sudden, John grabs Beasley, puts him down on the hood. Don't move, don't move. And John reaches around, pulls out a pistol. I then get the bu- his buddy down on the ground, and we do our thing. We end up going to jail because he was a he was a felon. And we did with that dude all the time. Oh yeah, he was a he was a frequent flyer. But I remember you were just like. Wow it, we li- <laughs> we just left the station so we 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 go and we eat uh we go and do the gel uh, process, and yeah. then we leave, and we go to t g i Fridays at West End I don't okay, you yep, remember that so yep. we go to West End, yep. and I remember distinctly the hot sports opinion you threw out, and I got excited by this what it didn't it, it it didn't come to fruition, but you said we were sitting there talking Tonight. about sports, and you go, hey, I got one for you <laughs> real real arrogantly, no I'm just kidding <laughs> you, you go, I got one for you. I think John Elway's coming back, and and I was like, yeah, I can see that. Yes, he, he he went out with two back to back Super Bowls. Yeah. He still got it. Uh-huh. Terrell Davis is still there. But I remember you sitting back in your chair at TGF Fridays and saying, "I got one for you." I think I think Elway's coming back. And in my mind, I was excited because I liked yeah. Elway so yeah. much, and I was thinking, this man. He's got sport inside sports knowledge. Yeah, isn't that so something? So it's got to be right. So anyway.
0: <laughs> but it's definitely not. Well, no, sadly. Man, I, 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 I remember that. I, that's great. I'm happy you do because I can't remember ever <laughs> well, you, feeling that way, but that's awesome. And, 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 and here's the other thing is uh, shoot shooter shoot and uh and we always forget the ones we miss. Yeah. But uh but thankfully we we, we Oh, you've hit we, on a lot. We're, but we're, well. I just
1: I remember I remember that because I was I was so excited to hear that cuz I was wanting that to happen. I, 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 I built you up. Yeah. <laughs> well, we leave we leave TGF Fridays and we go meet up with the guys and that's when the real fun starts. Yes. We met up with the 30, the old 3080 crew. Mike modest, Scott McDonald, Bricker, uh Pat Starr was there. Uh, Klingle Smith. Was Mark Pat- Terry there? Had
2: he already gone by then?
1: Mark Terry was there. Right. Yes. And, um, and I, I, know I, I, I can't remember if Jaime was there, Castro. Shout, I'm trying to give all shout-outs to the people that were there. And part of it, Kirk Carroll was, was there. He was actually, Kirk Carroll was in plain clothes. And our first order of business was to all pile in a gray Astro van. Yes, we did. And Kirk Carroll was driving. Bob was in the front passenger. Y'all <laughs> both were in plain clothes. And we were in the back of in, in back of the astral van like a Trojan horse. That's all right. in all in full uniform.
0: I'll never forget this. Yes. Oh I it was great. <laughs> it was so so we go
1: over to this this street called Symbol. It's in Pleasant Grove. And at the time this was like a little mini war zone on this street. ATF actually had to come come over to that street a few years later and, and put up basically shut the street down because it was that bad. It was like on like a street on the wire. Yeah. Right? So we're driving up and there's two guys on the corner and Bob's in the passenger seat, and we tell Bob, hey, roll down the window and ask for a 50 like just $50 yeah. rock for the listener, Yeah, which is a sizable rock to buy, to buy right there. So right. Bob cracks the window like two inches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, I don't doubt that. Yeah,
1: and you drive up, and they, one guy comes walking over to you from the bush. Yeah. And as soon as he got to the window, we pile out of the uh, the side of the, the sliding door slides open and we jump out on top of him. Yeah, he, crack, did, a, yeah, he, did, he
0: did a little panic dance, panic uh, dance, for a yeah. Crack he was scared as you the, were, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> crack,
1: crack goes up in the air and yeah. we, we, we put him down. And, and I, you were sitting there watching us pick crack rocks out of the bushes. And I just remember you, I remember you going.
0: Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you remember you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, things were moving really fast. And that's yeah. one of the things that uh, I, I recall from the entire experience is, is uh, you know, at, at, at no point is there like a uh, let's all stop and collect our thoughts here and uh, explain, no. uh, you know, like you guys. And, and I, I was very happy about this. You guys kind of just put me right into it. And, um, and, and didn't really explain, I didn't really have time to be nervous sort of thing, <laughs> you know? And again, it's, there must've been 10 people in the van, yeah. but you could only see two of us. And, and so when I got instructions, it, you know, I didn't have time to think how insane this is that I'm actually, uh, the one approaching the guy <laughs> trying to buy dope because, yeah. yes, because but that uh, would not happen. now. I, oh, no, I, no. I, I have to believe that that probably was uh, blurring the lines of a normal ride along protocol. Yeah, yeah. A little bit, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> 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 but regardless, I was honored to be part of an operation and, uh, yeah,
2: it felt, uh. It felt pretty awesome. We were young and dumb and we were trying to impress also. We yes. Well, I I hey
0: whenever we have we're all happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey,
1: it worked out fine. Yeah. Did, it didn't make the did. news with the local radio. <laughs> yes, yes. Local radio star
2: yeah, just, uh, and you killed were just killed by the no. at the time. I right? remember when <clears> we weren't even FM yeah, yet. <laughs> just now. Yep. I remember listening to you talk about it later and you didn't didn't get into a lot of details. We didn't want but mm-hmm. I remember you saying something in the effects like let me tell the listeners, there is no shortage of narcotics yeah and guns in dallas <laughs> you said something to that along those those, those lines well through. yeah i mean
0: because and, and i have done a lot of ride-alongs uh with with family you know all the father-in-law brothers and so forth so i'll go up there and we'll ride along and and you know it's just it's a, just a different deal it's 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 certainly um not the same types of calls it's uh you know, it's it's traffic accidents and things like that, and and so for this one, to to basically be everything you think it might be, and and you know, and, and with 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 drugs and with weapons and so forth, and you're just like, this is. This is wild. Uh, and, and I don't know, was it the first or the second where we, uh, we hit one of those hotels? That was that, the same, it same was, night. It was right
1: after we got done with Cymbal. So basically the team, some parts <laughs> of the team take those two knuckleheads to jail yeah. and book them in. We get back in the van and we travel to the very elegant, very beautiful Lucky Motel at twenty seven forty Lucky out Lucky. in c- cigarette heights. Cigarette Heights, yeah. And it it's since burnt down since okay. since we've hit it. R I P We're doing so su- yeah, R I P to Lucky Motel. And all the filth that has gone through there. Well, we're doing surveillance at on a on a on a certain door on the back side. We have guys dropped off. We we drive up in the van, we they belt, they deploy, they go over the fence and they're doing surveillance through a wooden fence. Yeah. And they're literally 20 yards from the door watching through this fence and they're seeing people come and go like, like it's like an ant farm, right? right? You know, they're right. coming, they're busy, they're working. Yeah. Buyer goes in, we tell you and the other, other units to pull up around the backside. And so basically y'all, you you stay, I will say you, you were not in harm's way yeah. at this time. You, we, we didn't want you to try to buy dope again because we were successful. We want to right. push it. Right. So you were, you were in the van and, we bail out, and you meet the, the our guys meet the buyer as he's leaving out, and the dealer's right there, so we, we there's a scuffle we put him down, and these apart these apartments are are these motels are, what three hundred square foot inside and, yeah, and and maybe a filthy mattress i mean there's not the hourly the hourly yeah yeah, and they they might go by the they might rent by the ten minutes in that yeah, place, yeah. so we go in and there's a bunch of crack and um again, I remember us. Doing our kind of little sweep, but Bob walks in, Bob takes a look behind the door and he sees a pump shotgun and i'm and I
0: remember you just go hey you got a hey, you got a shotgun over here <laughs> <laughs> it was it was so great well yeah I, I, so so I want to revise the story okay. slightly mm mm-hmm. Because, uh, as I recall, uh, it might have been you two uh, are, are back uh, looking in the bathroom for something, mm-hmm. maybe around the toilet. And it wasn't behind the door, but I swear to you, I've seen the thing in movies a few times where it's between the mattresses. Oh,
1: yes. That's right. That's right.
0: And so, you we got a shotgun over here. So I'm, I'm looking around the hotel room, and I'm like, if I was a gun, where would I be? <laughs> of course, he'd be between the mattresses. So I walk over, and I pick it up with, you know, it's a light little flimsy mattress. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not yeah. good going Lifted it up with one arm, and I'm like, I can't believe it's a freaking hey. shotgun right <laughs> where I thought it would be. Like, it's exactly right. where You're I are already thinking it would like be. a cop. Right? Yes, I mean, this is the most basic. She, that you, deep voice, hey. Yeah, that's a Yeah, no, that, yeah, no I didn't know what it, to do with it.
1: He said it so quick. Co- they got a shotgun. Me. <laughs> it, it, yep. like Well, yeah, we high-fived him. <laughs> We actually took a picture with one of those crappy wind up Kodak <laughs> cameras with you holding that shotgun. Ballard, I don't know where it's at, I would man. Love to get oh, that. I would too. There's a lot you don't of pictures. No, man. I would have. I would have loved to have that picture. It was, yeah, a couple of those pictures from
3: back then that we'd like to have.
1: Yeah, oh, there's a lot of. There, we I used to carry around those little disposable cameras, and the people and the people in, the people in uh, Eckridge that I used to, they probably raised some eyebrows when they looked at some of these photos. <laughs> But yeah, that was oh that was fun, man. Oh, it it all, really was. All total, we had seven felony arrests that night a, as a group, and yeah, it was it was a. I mean, you, I took you back to the the the, uh, the ticket uh, mothership and dropped you off, and just buzzing. Oh just yeah, like,
0: I can't believe this is real.
1: Yeah, well, it was a great night because sometimes you have ride-alongs and it's nothing it's sl- happens. Nothing happens, even in the worst part of Dallas. It just sometimes it doesn't work out for you. Yeah, you wrote again you wrote again in 2007 with me okay and this all, one was crazy you know this, we had fun too i'm gonna get into that um <laughs> kind of show there's a we did different things it wasn't as successful arrest wise right. because right. there was a lot of people that had called in that day and it was it was i i was apologizing because it was a slow day and i'm like com- dude comparatively speaking yeah and I was gone. Yeah, John was gone. John was a robbery detective, I believe. Uh, all, the, all the old crew was kind of gone by the 2007. And it was me and I had a new young crew. You know, I had, you know, Emerson, Rivera, Rowden. I had a bunch of young guys. And um, we go out and one we, we hit a couple of other houses. And actually, I showed you some things like there was a back door that had a window half open. And then you see a camera like down almost on the ground like, by the porch, shining mm-hmm. up like showing up at the uh, right. that window, right. and I, and there was a buzzer back there at the back window. Yep. And but one of the highlights is we did surveillance of a of a dope house, and so basically we get dropped off in a wooded area, yes. and we had to work our way up to this. It was a really wooded area of Oak Cliff. It was Olaf Arrow uh, near that John, that street Arrow, heavily wooded. We go up there and we get too close to the dope house. We're, like, really close. We see a car come up, and you and I both had to duck down. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Bob is, Bob is a large, I'm bald white guy. Yeah, he's easy to spot. I'm yeah. in uniform. I'm short. But we're, we're two white guys out in Oak Cliff sneaking up on a house. Yeah. And we're radioing information back to the, to the squad cars that were parked several blocks away. We're, trying to, we're kind of quarterbacking them in to, to take action. Right. Well, the dope dealer, I don't know what happened. He comes walking out. On uh, on a cell phone, and he's looking up and down the street. I don't know if somebody said something, but yeah. So Bob and I both had to literally lay down in the dirt on our stomachs, hundred percent. Yeah, while this guy. So what was what was going through your head whenever we're out there?
0: Uh, yeah. So so I I'm definitely on my chest, and I'm definitely like looking through. You know, leaves to try to get a, a a vision through the trees, and and again, we're we're not far at all. Yeah. And and, and uh, what's going through my head right now is uh, maybe I should have asked for a vest. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, what happens if this guy, uh, lo- you know, heads this way? What exactly is my play? Like, I, 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 I feel like. Being someone who communicates for a living, I have been able to talk myself out of certain situations in life. But this would be so far beyond anything I've <laughs> attempted to do. Is like uh, ah, just uh, just uh, you know, looking for uh, you know a watch I lost over here. So like, what would you even say? So and and by the way, they may not be interested in a conversation. No. They might be interested in clearing the area mm-hmm. uh, at your expense. So so I. I remember, uh, definitely feeling my pulse racing a little bit there. That I was, uh, I was perhaps touching a stove that was a little too hot yeah. for my uh, my likey that time, and I was very happy to get picked back up.
1: Yeah, well, my command staff probably would, you know. But I could talk about these right along now because the sure. command staff are long gone. Yes, and, and it all worked out well. It we're all sure, worked work, out. Work, we have work. nice stories. We're yes. doing a podcast. Yeah, we're there doing a podcast now. now. I would not thought I had a podcast. wouldn't podcast didn't exist back then.
0: But I, I remember <laughs> thinking at the time, I can never say anything about this because... I think we probably flew a little close to the sun <laughs> that know, day. No,
1: we did. Well, yeah. you know what's funny is is you did a segment on it, like, uh, and I still have it recorded into that segment you and Donnie did. Okay, I still have it. So it was on Battery Radio. I was you being and-
0: really vague, though, right?
1: You were being very vague, okay. And but we talked about it, and you said you said that you had to get down on your stomach, and you know, and and Donnie asked him, was it like Saving Private Ryan? Was you, you like keep <laughs> keep me at <laughs> Keep you in my hip the whole way, <laughs> and it was it was really funny. Like yeah. where you, wherever I go, you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they a- they ask you if you had a vest. So. Dude, it was wild. It was fun. That was, but that was kind of that's that's part of it. We did that. I can't tell you how many times we low crawled, snuck up, literally feet away from people, and having to hide like you know, cops. This literally playing cops and robbers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a element to all of this because I've probably. Probably gone on a dozen uh, ride-alongs in my life, but uh, only, only I think, with you down here, I think. You know what I might have done? Is, you
3: rode with my partner, Chris Webb. Yeah, you know what I We rode at Southwest. Yeah, and, that's right, okay. And no, I, we didn't do shit that night because there was nothing going on. It was a very okay dead night, but it was more in the fall because it was darker. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so, you know, but in, 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 in all these cases, uh, the goal is to be the fly on the wall, and so you're kind of experiencing what you guys deal with, uh, but it's also to be a fly on the wall and not have any role in anything that happens. And uh, and and you know, it, I, I'm very thankful for those experiences. It was it was great, and um, and uh, I kind of wish uh, kind of wish we could do them again sometime. But uh, um, it's it it's you know again it, it, it scratches the itch of uh, of. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people could benefit, and I know that's the, the purpose of the ride-alongs in the first place was to sort of, you know, show show citizens what it's really like. Uh, and I I don't know if if they exist on really any level anymore, but I but I definitely know it's important for for people to kind of get a feel for what you guys are all about because the you know the perception at times isn't great. All you know for yeah for law enforcement and and I. I you know, I I totally get the complex nature of of those things, but at the same time, man, it's um, uh, you know, it's it's real dudes, and you know, and 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 certainly uh, ladies, of course, but uh, doing doing a lot of good work out there, and then doing a lot of uh, uh, you know noble causes, and and it doesn't doesn't get talked about hardly at all, and and that's that's a shame.
2: It was fun. Yeah man, it was fun.
1: Yeah. Well, what a, the name of this this podcast is bridging the divide, and I and and we we realize the divide. We have a divide in our own in our own departments. We and and, and the citizens. We want to reach out and speak to the non-police, right. the non-firemen, the, right. the non-military, that to help better understand our experiences and our totally our downfalls and also our recoveries. And you know, we're yeah. doing the officers do the best they can. There there's some people that do not deserve to wear the uniform and the badge. We know that and 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 we want them taken out of play as well, sure. right? Uh but it's the same with every profession.
0: So it's absolutely the same with every profession and uh you know, there's plenty of guys in the, in the media world that that I really wish didn't represent well, yeah. what what I do because they don't do what I do. They They go about things, uh, in, in, in a less than flattering way. And, and yeah, so it's like that in every profession, uh, at the same time, um, you know, some are, are absolute lightning rod professions and, and there's no question law enforcement is, is, is in the spotlight. Um, I will always, I will always say, you know, given my personal experience, um, there's so many great men and women who are, you know, this is their calling, this is their cause, this is, you know, how they feel like they're leaving society in a better place than where they arrived, and, 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 and you know, that's the type of thing I would like to focus. And of course, if I had a dollar for everybody, to, every time somebody said one bad apple, blah blah blah, I get it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it we we kind of owe it to each other. Uh, especially in conversations like these, we owe it to each other to not paint with a broad brush, you know, any more than we have to, you know. And that's that's why I, I, I think it's important, um, even when it's not popular, to to be willing to, you know, defend the huge majority that are absolutely you know, trying to do things the right way and trying to do the best they can. And then the other thing is just a simple empathy of understanding, you know, what what the type of pressures, and I don't mean pressure from the media or pressure from the populace for your conduct or anything like that. I'm talking about the pressure of literally not knowing if you're going to be shot or safe or something like that. I think that's something else that we, on the outside, uh, probably need to have a better understanding of is like how would your job change and how would your general attitude to uh circumstances change if there was a real possibility that uh you you could come in harm's way during this next 8-hour shift and and so or you have to take a life or you have yes, to do that yes and so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, and most of the time, it's just easier to paint with a broad brush, um, you know, some ridiculous uh, position, and and just pretty much throw everybody in the same basket, and and you know, I, I I realize that saves time, but it's it's not right.
1: It gets you likes and shares if you say certain things yeah. and take a stance, and and yeah. it gets you some hashtags, but you know, it, it's a tough. I mean, it's anybody can being involved in a car accident on the way to work and that's when their life is is over right Right. and but officers they go to work in firefighters military they, they go to work knowing there's a very good chance they're not coming home to their family their family is having to pick up the pieces after the fact and then even another we've had we had the great lance crawford on here and he talked about the The thought of having to take a life of another person there is a there is there's no officer that wants to go out and kill anybody there is a there is a mental that the people the officers that have to take lives and even get into a shooting where they have to shoot somebody where they don't die they are they have to live with that mentally forever yeah john john's been john's been in uh involved in two shootings himself and it's you know, John. I mean, it, it, He could probably speak better need, about the mental yeah.
3: aspect of that than what we do, can't? Yeah, no,
2: it, it, it's it's tough. I have been on almost what twenty seven years. and I, not, I don't know any officer that goes out wanting to wanting to one of these things to happen. But when they do happen, though, it, it's it, it's it's tough, man. It's weird. I mean, you got the pressure from from your colleagues or whether you did right or how you messed right. up from the person you the the family that's involved. With who you know who you shot. You know, then you have to go through the investigations, right. and there's always going to be people that think you know that you're such a bad person. You know, there's yeah. no way you should have done that. So it's a, it's tough, man. Nobody wants nobody. I promise you, there's nobody. I don't know of any cop that wants to shoot somebody.
0: Well, you know, to me, and you always say, well, how would uh, you know? What are solutions as opposed to just complaining about everything? I, I don't know. I don't know how ultimately we we get to the destination we, we want to get to because obviously there are a number of unfortunate and just flat out wrong incidents involving law enforcement right. that that, that nobody is proud of. I I think though one, I think one thing that I'm I'm I remain optimistic about is it does feel in my lifetime we've gone from almost uh, laughing at anybody who. Uh, admits I'm uh, a mental frailty, or or hey, I'm not okay right now. I'm not feeling good. I'm, uh, you know, I I I think you know the it's 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 trite to say it this way, but it's okay not to be okay. Sort of cliche that's out there now. That sort of recognizes uh, mental battles. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to define mental illness or anything like this, but I do know that part of everyday life for us, for our high school kids, uh, for certainly people in law enforcement or people in the military or, or anything like that. I do think that if anything good has come out of the last several years, it's sort of a recognition that it doesn't make you soft to to kind of feel like you're dealing with something that you'd like to talk about with somebody. You know, that sort of thing. And I, and, and, and I can't imagine you know, the mental battles of uh of, of being out on the streets sometimes and just what, what that would do to your perception of what you know the populace is like. If 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 the only if the only people you come in contact with on a course of time act in a certain way or or believe in certain things, then that has to color your thought process of what you know, it's just it's just how our brains you know our brains use probabilities all the time subconsciously to determine friend foe good evil you know it's 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 our brain doing calculations right and so i have to think that you know just like if i'm you know, always surrounded by professional athletes, I might get an idea of what a normal human is capable of physically, which is ridiculous because they're professional athletes. They are not indicative of you know. So, so I, I do think with all of us, and, and not to ramble in fifty directions here, but I I do think as men in particular, for for us as a group to sort of uh, be willing to at least entertain the possibility of. Vulnerability, you know, between the ears, is not a sign of weakness or, or uh, you know, it's it's like a sign of like, got, dude, it's all right, it's all right to have you know your head spinning a little bit, take a little time, you know, see this person, talk. Yeah, I, I think, I think that has to help in your profession. I think it has to help in every profession. Like I said, our kids not going to school for a couple years and just kind of living in their own. Phone and in their own heads, in you know, without human interaction. I think it all takes a a toll. So I don't know if that makes as much sense as I wanted to, but I just I I I always think that there are certain professions where where mental wellness would really 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 be vital, and I have to think law enforcement's really high on that list.
3: We're getting better at it. We're Joe Joe is part of a new program. But the ATO, that's one of the things that since I've been working with the ATO and DPA for the past almost 10 years now, our expenses for mental the counseling program that we have is, yeah. has grown exponentially. And I've mentioned a lot of time on here. Cops are using it. People are using it. The family are using it. Now, I don't know if it's because the people are knowing to use it now or circumstances that have happened in the past decade have brought that on, but it's getting used and officers are getting help and getting better and – we still have a long way to go because yeah. there's still cops are still making mistakes off duty that they that if they would seek help they probably could have gotten some better therapy than yeah. the alcohol therapy or other therapy that they're using to get through the day and not getting the proper help. But we're we're getting better at
0: doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, young officers are probably full of optimism on how the world's going to change and how I'm going to, you know, always uh, you know always be able to make things better out there. And then I imagine over the course of a career, it's just natural to at times become a little jaded. And I think that mental maintenance is probably a big role in attempting to normalize or uh, regulate that. Maybe it's probably, the well, point. it's more in, in
1: officers and first, any first responder, they, and everybody really any traumatic incident that happens or just the seeing a dead body, not even getting to shoot him, seeing a dead body all 100%. the time we compartmentalize things and we just move on to the next because there's always the next yes. we have to, we have to put it, we have to put it in a box and put it behind us. but people don't always manage those boxes that are left behind very well. They don't stack them nice and neat in the garage. Right. right. And that's where counseling would come in and basically show them how to manage what they have compartmentalized. And the the Dallas PD, we were just starting up a new uh, a wellness unit and I've uh, been fortunate enough to have been selected to be a part of that. It's called the uh, the OWL Initiative, the Officer Wellness Longevity Initiative. Oh, we good. got a cool logo and everything. And, and we are going to be taking a proactive approach with our officers and even the non-police. We have a lot of uh, c- civilians that go out and process crime scenes that see dead infants, dead bodies, and, and, and mutilated bodies from crashes. They have to go out and process these scenes as civilians. Not really the training and the the uh-huh. visual experiences that we, we go through. So it, it's tough on everybody, but we're going to try uh, with this new initiative to at least steer the ship in a, in a right direction or a better direction.
0: That's great because, you know, again, to circle it back to what I do, there are times where... You you feel, you know, like you're like you argumentative, you know, social media or yeah. just all this stuff, and you can feel like it's changing how you feel and where your head's at, and and uh, that's definitely not happening upon a one percent of the nonsense you guys have to see and deal with, and nonsense is a bad word but the, you know you, you get what I'm saying no we do a lot of it's, nonsense <laughs> too. Yeah. Twitter is, uh, is not real life and uh, no. it can still mess with your head so I so I have to imagine uh, there this okay. career in particular is, uh, is, is one that you have, to have a lot to deal with
1: Bob I want to get into another topic with you um, first responders military we, we throw around the phrase saving a life. Right, in which we do, we save we, we save many lives. Mm-hmm. But saving a life can mean many different things. It could be putting on a tourniquet of somebody that's been shot. It could be dragging somebody out of a house that's on fire. It could also mean some of the people we arrest maybe make that arrest, giving them a wake up call Right. that makes them turn their life around. Right? Yeah. Or it can mean putting somebody in a better situation and in better circumstances for them to have a better quality of life for their the rest of their life yeah I want to get into something that I believe that you save lives okay and you're very strong in your faith and one in your tri- you had a mission trip to Guatemala can yes, you sir. talk about that and and what that led to
0: yeah yeah we um there's probably a time in, in everyone's life where they kind of look around and they say, "So what? What's uh, the point of all this? Like, what are you know? You're in a uh, beautiful SUV and you just bought a six dollar coffee and you're you're driving along and you're a little beaten by the rat race and you're kind of wondering, so what's the point? Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, especially in my case, if you have a uh, if you have a, a brother who's actually you know uh in the army and also a chaplain and a pastor and you're like okay so he's doing that and uh, we're laughing at uh, fart drops on the air and just you know it's like am, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing and so uh, with that epiphany i guess i was looking for things like 2005 and a couple of guys at church uh, told me to go to guatemala with them for 4 days and uh, just kind of see the mission trip and um I could talk for an hour about just that, but, uh, long story uh, short, uh, it, it changed my life just to see what poverty truly is all about. Like we have us poverty and I'm not here to make light of it, but there's also world poverty where, um, you know, these, these kids are basically in an orphanage that's in a junkyard and I'm not even making that up. And I mean, it's just, you're like, This is crazy, like an orphanage in a junkyard? Like, what are we talking about here? And so you see that, and you see the little differences you can make, and we would take shoes down to them, and we'd play soccer with them, and, um, you know, that turned into another mission trip and another and another. And I went to Guatemala, I think, eight or ten times in the Dominican Republic, and and one time we took our wives, and uh, so Sally's with me down there, and we're just like, man, I feel... I feel like maybe we could be doing more, uh, but I don't know what it is. And she said, you know, maybe we should think about adopting. And we're like, well, we already got two kids, and you know, we got the uh, got the you know perfect uh, family boy girl whole situation. I don't know. It seems kind of crazy, but um, yeah, we uh, we went down that road and tried to do Guatemala, and it ended up uh, closing um international adoptions in Guatemala because of uh, some complex reasons and uh thankfully though Honduras opened up shortly thereafter and uh and and that's how we uh we met our uh, son who we we adopted uh at the uh, age of uh four in 2011 and we lived uh in in Honduras for about eight weeks and uh and, uh, that changed our life. And so, you know, when you talk about adoption, you know, those of us, uh, who are, uh, strong in the faith, you know, we, we kind of consider ourselves adopted by, uh, by God. So to, to, uh, pay that, uh, pay that forward in, in our own family situation, that, uh, that is, uh, something that, uh, you know, we felt, uh, called to do. You know, that, that, I know it was a big process,
1: and, and you talked about it on air. and Very much. Yeah. Can you just briefly describe how tough that was of a process for you?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's very involved. Um, you were literally there eight weeks before the
2: adoption? Yeah,
0: yeah. Because you take custody, but then you can't leave the country until he has a U.S. visa. And so there's a number of things you have to do. And honestly, if people are into adoption, I would never, you know, tell you. Um domestic versus international, uh, what's the right call for you? But I would say that uh, uh, domestic is way easier. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, you know, uh, I, I, we, we felt called because my wife's family um, to uh, to, uh, you know, help out a Spanish-speaking uh, orphan and a from a spanish-speaking country and that's just how we roll we you know we feel like uh again her dad uh swam the rio grande to get here and it just felt uh it felt um it felt meaningful to us to, to attempt to minister to Latin America and in, in, in that sort of setting, and not just in adoption, but in our giving and our mission trips and whatever we do. Um, and that's why I have such a heart for the immigration issues that our state uh, and our country deals with. It's just because, you know, behind every immigrant, legal or illegal, is a human being. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, now, now, absolutely, we have to be smart about things, and we can't, you know, let let bad people and bad uh, intentions in. But at the same time, uh, the God I believe in does not really care about the borders we've drawn on our maps mm-hmm. to decide this is our land and this is your land. Well, God made it all, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. and uh, from that, um, you know, I have to count a human life as a human life, you know, here, there, somewhere, you know, and, and I, I realize there's a lot of pride in being born in Texas or born in American, but I don't think God cares about that. I think God cares about, um, you know, uh, each and every soul. And I think we're told in the Bible to, uh, make sure we're taking care of the widows and the orphans in particular, and the poor. And, and so that's been something that's been very important to us, whether it be, you know, our clothing drives or mission trips or adoption or whatever is, you know, just we just, we, you know, God's taking good care of me. There's no question. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate and, and I would hate to think that my entire life was, was about comfort and possessions that aren't really going to last anyway. And so um, the idea, although I don't always practice what I preach, I suppose, the idea is to make a difference in lives. And I can't imagine, you know, a bigger difference than than you know, adopting a young man who uh, who will be your son for the rest of your life. So, so that was that was a adventure we were leery of, and it had some reservations on how it was going to affect our family and how it was going to change everything. And. You know, certainly you can have a lot of thoughts in your head, uh, just like if you're laying on your chest, uh, uh, you know, across from a drug house. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things in your head that can say what could go wrong here. And that's the same with living in Tegucigalpa, Honduras for eight weeks. But, uh, um, you know, God is good, and uh, we survived uh, all of it. And, uh, and and here we are today and our family. Let me tell you, um, that dude is unbelievable and uh that that uh that that, that uh, our youngest son justin uh um he's he's uh you know got a heart of gold and uh, god could have given us uh, any any child on the face of the earth uh, to uh, to add to our family and we would have you know tried to accept any of those terms and and he gave us just uh, a dynamite kiddo that uh hopefully uh god has big plans for Well, Bob,
1: you say he has a heart of gold. You have a heart of gold, and you and your family does. I mean, you you saved a life. You put a human being in much better circumstances, and you gave him an avenue that a lot of orphans still right now don't have that opportunity. And for you all to go do that, I can't tell you how. When I was listening to that story on the ticket, and, you, and your experience, I mean, it, it get, gets you teary-eyed thinking about that, somebody doing that because you didn't have to do it.
0: Well, you know, it's uh, one of the greatest rewards is hearing that people were listening to those segments and they actually decided to go adopt themselves. And it's not for everyone, but a lot of us have been blessed with – Homes and lives and careers that uh, that are far beyond our wildest uh, projections and dreams when we were growing up. Like, holy cow, if I could someday make $50,000 in a year, that would be the best. I'd sign up for that. You know, 18-year-old you has all these thoughts on, on what a blessing would be. And then, you know, somehow you end up, uh, you know, living your dream life. And, uh, and and you just have to think it's not all about you. It's all about, you know, what you can do with that to make things around you better and you know if uh i i think that's what it's all about i i, I guess I, I don't i don't pretend to know what it's all about but i think that's what it's all about
2: it that's sounds what, like he blessed you every bit as much as you blessed him
0: well it's uh it's
2: it, yes if the listener could right.
1: see the smile on his face right now they would they would they <laughs> yeah. would know yeah, that he's... he was
0: blessed that mm-hmm. as, as much as it's the best decision we ever made. He's he's uh, he's unbelievable, even if he's loud when we're recording. Oh, uh, he's fine. <laughs> well, you know,
3: even as unintentioned as it is, we've had a lot of people talk about their faith in when bad things have happened, so I'm glad you've talked about that. Um, you want to give a plug to your uh, closed drive, too, your website, or if you got that? You want to throw that out there for yeah, us? Yeah, well,
0: uh, we, we will uh, do uh, another... Uh, uh, another version of drop your pants uh, September 13th so I guess depending on when this drops uh, uh, this uh, might still be ahead of it and uh, we do it for the cornerstone clothes closet which uh, cornerstone is a is a great ministry uh, down by fair park and uh, we absolutely love pastor chris Simmons and, and that gang and, and so every uh, they have a clothing closet and uh, uh, briefly I uh, years ago my wife had our family go down there and serve and we were amazed at what they do with the uh, with the homeless and with the uh, impoverished uh, uh, folks of uh, the area and so forth and of course that that continues to be a big uh, deal in our city is, is is you know trying to take care of uh, the people that, that have a hard time right now fully taking care of themselves and we were amazed that day to find that almost all of the men's pants were out of stock like there's too many. Uh, and, and so if you uh, were like a 28 waist or a 44 waist, they might be able to help you. But anything in between, the, uh, the shelves were bare. And I remember saying, you know, I, I, I broadcast every day to a couple hundred thousand men. And odds are their waists are somewhere between 28 and 44 in many cases. And I bet, like me, they have 10 pairs they haven't worn in uh, ever. What if we could get those in this clothes closet? So that was like nine years ago, and it's happened over and over and over again. Now, because of COVID, we're doing more of a cash drive uh, and we were expecting it was going to change this year, but now we're not so sure. And I think we're going to stay online cash again this year, probably, uh, to try to raise money so that our people can go buy wholesale jeans. But by next year, 2023, we'd like to believe we're back to, uh, getting people to clean out their closets as well. So, uh, you can find plenty more at the ticket.com.
1: Bob thank you so much for being a true servant. You, you know the city of Dallas is lucky to have you and your talents. You entertain so many but then you're much you're much much more beyond just a radio voice and just a sports nerd. Cool. And and I hope the listener hears that they understand what a, what a great human being you are. And I can't thank you enough for sitting down with our little
0: podcast. Well, that's awesome. I'm honored. And I can't thank you enough for uh, for uh, your friendship and uh, for the stories, guys. It was great uh, to relive uh, uh, the good old days and uh, picking up the mattress and uh, finding uh, the surprise. And and uh, it, was, it was fun to hang out with you guys today and keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, we are thankful for Uh, the service to our city and so forth that you guys are called to. Thank you, Bob.